0: Welcome back to the Third and Fifteen podcast. I'm your host Jeremy Timmerman. Um, you know, folks, last time we talked about Colorado leaving the Big the Pac-12, excuse me, to go to the Big Twelve. How much I liked that! And as I listened back, I don't always sit and listen to myself after one of these podcasts just because it, it feels kind of weird. Um, but some, sometimes I'll at, least, I'll at least listen to a few minutes just to kind of see how I sounded, things like that. I do obviously listen to parts while I'm editing. Um, but as far as just sitting and listening, I, I don't always listen to it back all the way through. Uh, but I, I thought it was funny. I listened to it a couple of days later. And one of the things I said was that the Pac-12 needed to find more teams in a hurry or they were in trouble. Um, and and the Pac-12's in trouble. <laughs> if you're listening to this, uh, I I feel the need to tell you what date I'm recording because things have changed so quickly in college football over the last... A few weeks i'm recording on saturday august 12th um and about a week ago after colorado um probably about a week after colorado said he was they were leaving oregon and washington announced plans to join the big 10 and then right behind that arizona arizona state and utah are leaving to go to the big 12. Uh, so the big 12 which seemed to be in trouble right uh, maybe this time last year or a couple of years ago, time is a flat circle. Um, I have no idea what when this was. But whenever o- Oklahoma and Texas were talking about leaving the Big 12, we, we thought they were in trouble. Now, I mean, other than the SEC, there is not a conference more uh, better, or, or not more, but in my opinion, that has better positioned itself than the Big 12. And when you factor in that... the the difference in where we thought they could be headed. I mean, there was a time where we were thinking, are they just going to get poached? Is the Pac-12 going to grab Baylor and... Um, maybe the Big Ten's going to grab Iowa State, because it always kind of felt like it made more sense for them to be there. Is the ACC going to get in on this? And and is the Big 12 just going to disappear? And now the Big 12, they bounce back by adding the teams that a lot of us kind of felt like maybe needed to be in a Power 5 conference anyway, like Cincinnati and UCF, and now they've added Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, which Arizona and Arizona State aren't groundbreaking problems, are uh, groundbreaking programs, excuse me, but having the Phoenix market for the Big 12 makes sense. I feel like of all of the conferences, the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas, once they added Texas A&M, adding Oklahoma and Texas didn't, you know, wasn't too problematic with their footprint. But the Big 12 just kind of expanding west and taking Arizona, Arizona State, bringing back Colorado, Utah makes sense. I think the Big 12 is doing great things. But the Pac-12 is in trouble. as is, As it exists for 2024, it's Cal, Oregon State, Stanford, and Washington State. My goodness! Now the, the 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 Pac-12 could stay afloat if they can keep those four, then close ranks with those four, uh, kind of raid the Mountain West. Um, they can they can stick around, and with the proposed format um, of having six automatic bids for conference champions, they'd still be fine. In fact, from a football competitive standpoint, Oregon State and Cal and Stanford and and Washington State are in the catbird seat because you got to have six com- you know you got to have six conference champions the way it's written now and you've got the ACC the SEC the Big Ten the Big Twelve that's only four so the that version of the Pac-12 with those four teams joined by Boise and San Diego State and New Mexico or whoever is not a power conference by any stretch. But they would get a bid almost every year um, because uh, especially if, you, if you're Cal and you can get USC on as a non-conference and Stanford's going to have Notre Dame, if you can pull some of that kind of stuff, that, that's a, those champions are going to have a leg up on a champion like from the Sun Belt. So, but if those four don't close ranks and, and they're gone, the Pac-12 could be absolutely dead. Uh, We thought we were maybe seeing the 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 next to last nail in that coffin, because there it it was rumored that the ACC was going to go get Stanford and Cal. As an ACC guy, I absolutely hated that. I'm glad that Clemson, Florida. uh, Rumor is that Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, and NC State stepped up and voted no. They said no, we're not, we don't want Cal and Stanford. Because what does that do? Yes, it's another market. But those markets are problematic for the ACC. Now you've got several of your teams. Uh, let's see, it's a let's say it's nine game schedule. I think you almost have to move to nine games. But even it really doesn't matter, eight or nine. You're gonna let's say you have four road games in conference, all right? Uh, or uh, more appropriately, Cal and Stanford would have five home games, probably four or five home games, which means four or five teams are playing road games on the West Coast. One of the biggest problems for the Pac-12, and at least in recent years, has been their games are on so late, by necessity, and I'm not saying they should have to play all their games at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so as to Easter, East coasters East Coasters, whatever you want to say, so that we can watch their games, but the reality is we're not going to watch their games as often when they're starting at 10.30 at night. For us. That's just the reality. And, and a lot of the population lives on the East Coaster and the Central. Those games are just late. Um... And now, now there's our home games. And I just don't know that the return on investment is there. Because I don't, I, I think what we know is that the West Coast doesn't watch college football. Really, no part of the country watches college football the way the South does. And I'm including Texas and Oklahoma and those, those kind of states. The Southern United States. Nobody watches college football the way we do. And so I just don't know that picking up those, you know, that those markets, so to speak. I'm using air quotes. You can't see them. I don't know that it brings that much value to the table, specifically for those teams like Clemson and Florida State and North Carolina and NC State. Now, Florida State, NC State, and North Carolina have to start pulling their weight in football. If they're going to vote like the big boys, I'm glad they did, but they got to start pulling their weight. Uh, there was talk that last week or so that, that Florida State was openly talking about how they were, could get out of the ACC, and they've got to get more money. We're, we're going to talk about more money in a second, but... Uh, the ACC would have an easier time getting more money if Florida State hadn't spent most of the last mm, couple decades being irrelevant um, they've had a couple of years you know they won the national title in what was it 2013 um, they were very good in 2014 made it to the first playoffs some would say overrated they were still undefeated in the regular season uh, that's they were a very good team they were relevant other than that they've spent most of the last couple decades being disappointing um, And that's part of the reason why the ACC can't get more money, is because other than Clemson, s- nobody else has been consistently good during this stretch. Uh, since the ACC kind of, you know, I'm, I may be misremembering, but it kind of feels like the ACC kind of jump-started the, the realignment when they raided the Big East and took like half of that conference. Um. Ever since then, the teams, because if you remember, the, the ACC divisions were set up so that Florida State and Miami would be on opposite sides. They would play every year as a, as, as a crossover game. You know, that's ACC, like a lot of the conferences, has their permanent crossover. Clemson plays Georgia Tech, so on and so forth. Florida State and Miami. They were put on opposite sides on purpose. That's part of the reason I think that they went with this vague Atlantic and coastal concept because the really the way the conference is laid out, it would have made more sense to do north-south. But if you do north-south, Florida State and Miami are obviously going to be in the same division, and they didn't want that. They wanted them, the two big teams, and I think that to a lesser degree, they split up like Clemson and Virginia Tech. That's why Clemson is on Florida State's side. Virginia Tech is on Miami's. Um... But those two teams have never met in the ACC title game. Miami's been, and they got their tails kicked. Florida State's been, Florida State's been fine, but those two teams, in the playoff era especially, have not pulled their weight, and those, and so it was laughable to me that Florida State would be like, well, we need more money. Well, pull your weight. If Florida State had been consistently good as Clemson is, the ACC would have an easier time getting TV dollars. But the fact remains that most of the ACC schedule every week is mediocre. It's whoever, for the last decade or so, it's whoever's Clemson's playing, some years whoever Florida State's playing, when the stars align and those two teams play, when Florida State's not a dumpster fire, that game matters. Other than that, it's a bunch of teams that are going to be 7-5 and five at the end of the year. I'm sorry, folks, it's hard to make money that way. So, but to circle back, kudos to those teams for standing up, those those universities, for standing up and saying, no, we don't want to be a part of this. We don't. Stanford and Cal do nothing for us. It's Playing Stanford and Cal means that we get to play another Duke, another Virginia, and, hey, no knock on Virginia. They were in the ACC title game a couple years ago. Duke has been close to the ACC title game, but they're not national brands in football. Neither is Stanford right now. Neither is Cal basically ever. But you gotta drive, you know, you gotta fly clean across the country and play at ten o'clock our time to to actually, or uh, play in the middle of the afternoon. But like, you are never gonna get a good matchup over there for the most part. It's just gonna be flying across the country, or God forbid, bussing across the country for some of these lesser programs, and that's who it's really. I am really glad that the ACC is at least for now not doing that for those less for those non revenue sports is is what I mean, you know um the volleyball programs should not have to be flying across the country to play conference games basketball both of those programs cal and westford or Cal and Virginia Tech should not be having to do a home and home in basketball every year that's just it's illogical uh and I don't even know that. I don't even know that the added eyes and potential added revenue of being in those markets is even going to offset having to share the TV money with two more teams or two more universities. So I was really glad to see that the ACC didn't do that. Speaking of money, it has since come out that last fall or last winter, sometime in the last year or so, ESPN had an offer on the table. ESPN or Fox? Let's double check this. Um... I, I, I was 100% certain it was ESPN, and now I'm not so certain, so I'm going to look it up. Um, had an offer on the table that the Pac-12 would get a new TV deal. Yeah, it was ESPN. That would net them $30 million per team, which is not a SEC money. It's not Big Ten money, but, the conf- but it would position them at or above the Big 12 and the ACC, and it would provide stability. They turned it down. They wanted fifty. It was fall of twenty twenty two. They wanted fifty million instead. They, you see this all the time in any kind of negotiation. Somebody overestimates their value, and now the conference might die because of it. Like we may ne- the Pac twelve may fold up entirely. All it's gonna take is somebody asking, maybe even just one of those four remaining teams: Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, or Stanford all right to come over uh to their conference and um the conference could die now another thing in all this i i've got a chance to pick on notre dame to um talk smack about notre dame and i'm, I'm gonna take it notre dame's president Swarbrick is that his name um Let's 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 double check this name. I didn't intend to talk about this, folks. I'm very stream of conference stream of consciousness. Yeah, Jack Swarbick, the direct, the AD at Notre Dame, was really talking a lot about the need to add Cal and Stanford and and why that needed to happen and why that those two academic institutions shouldn't be left out of all this. In my opinion, and of course the ACC would never have structured it this way, anything that's going to affect football, Notre Dame shouldn't get a vote. They aren't part of the conference for football, except for one year when, frankly, the ACC should have used that year as an opportunity to get what they really need out of um, Notre Dame. They need Notre Dame to join the conference as a football team. And, and what they should have done is made them join that year. Said, hey, you want to you play football this year. You need a conference to play football. Nobody's playing out of conference games, essentially. You want to do that, you need to be a member of the ACC full-time. But instead, they let them play that one year and, and, you know, whatever. But the anything that affects football, Notre Dame shouldn't be voting. They just shouldn't. They shouldn't get a vote. They shouldn't get a voice. They're not a part of it. They have chosen not to be a part of it aggressively they should not get a vote you want to talk about some of these affiliate members you know a lot of these conferences have affiliate members for um specifically olympic sports um i'm looking now to see if the acc has any uh let's look i know they have in the past yeah they don't have any right now um But other conferences have you know, them. They have these teams that only play lacrosse. or only sp- are participate in swimming and diving or something like that. If Notre Dame wants to, if they, if they want to have a vote on something like that, if they want to vote on the rules for um, swimming, if, any of that stuff, sure. But if we're talking about anything related to football, Notre Dame shouldn't get a vote. So, anyway, that's kind of my thought on all the expansion that's going on right now. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Heisman candidates. I told you that's what we're going to have coming up, so let's talk about it. Welcome back to the 3rd and 15 podcast. All right, we're going to talk Heisman candidates. And the first thing's first, to me, it's a quarterback award most years, right? Everybody else is fighting an uphill battle. But right out of the gate, I just want to say I feel like this year more than any, It's going to be a quarterback award. And the reason why is we had three, really four, very good quarterback candidates that are all back, led by the winner himself. And it's important that the winner is coming back, not because I think that Caleb Williams is necessarily going to win. In fact, you could make a case that he has a more uphill battle than anybody else uh, to win it. Because in the minds of some voters, he's almost going to have to do better than he did last year. And that's going to be difficult. He completed 66.6% of his passes. Over 4,500 passing yards, 42 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Because of some of the way later in the year went, I kind of feel like there were some particularly SEC fans and particularly Georgia fans that right or wrong felt like Stetson Bennett should have gotten more attention or somebody else from the conference should have gotten more attention or Will Anderson should have gotten more Whatever. Um... Folks, that is phenomenal. 42 touchdowns against 5 interceptions. And completing 60, um, basically two-thirds of his passes. 66.6% of his passes. Also ran the ball for 382 yards and 10 more scores. Uh, So in total, 52 touchdowns. And that is part of why it's really hard for somebody else to win the award. There's lots of people that complain about the fact that it's a quarterback award. Any running back or wide receiver wants to account for 50 touchdowns in a season... They will have a really good chance of winning the uh, of winning the Heisman, but that that's not happening. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Devontae Smith later, but Devontae Smith won it in 2020. He had 23 touchdowns. Um, Caleb Williams, 52 total touchdowns last year, and did that. Without that extra playoff game, you know he wasn't in the playoffs. That's fifty-two touchdowns without a playoff game. He only played fourteen. Whereas, you know, some of these, um, you know, like nobody on this list right now, but um, you know, the guys that, that play in the championship game had a fifteenth game. That's more of a normal college football season that he than he had fifty-two touchdowns. Then you've got Drake May. Um, I'm not super high on him, even though he's an ACC guy. Um. But he is 66.2% completion last year. Over 4,300 yards, 38 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. That's also very good, especially when you consider that two of those were against Clemson in the in the ACC championship game. So other than playing Clemson, he had 5 interceptions. So very good year. 698 rushing yards and 7 new touchdowns. Doesn't get in the end zone quite as much as Caleb Williams, but he's more of an actual running threat. Caleb Williams, he will run, um, but but he's more of a he runs as a check down uh, drake May there, there's a little bit more of a design run for him michael penix jr 65 percent of his passes he's back at washington 400 uh, over 4600 yards um so he, he actually had more yards than caleb williams 31 touchdowns 8 interceptions 92 yards four touchdowns um so not as much of a running threat as the other two so those those are three and then the fourth one is Bo Nicks. And you're if you especially if you're an SEC fan, you're like, ah, come on, this Nix hype. Listen to this season he had last year, folks. Completed almost 72% of his passes, thirty-five almost thirty-six hundred passing yards with twenty-nine touchdowns, seven interceptions, ran for five hundred and ten yards and fourteen touchdowns. So he ran for more touchdowns than the other three. And those rushing touchdowns for quarterbacks, to me, that's how you see a guy like Max Duggan get involved in Stetson Bennett. Um, because those rushing touchdowns, they're exciting, they're highlights. Um it just helps, and and so I think you can't rule out Bo Nix, and, and maybe the last year of the Pac-12, especially if we get to kind of a showdown between Oregon and Southern Cal for that conference, that's going to be a lot of attention on Oregon. Attention matters, and, and we're at, I'm actually going to, before I get into some of the non-quarterbacks, let's talk about the schedule for these guys, and we'll start with uh, Caleb Smith, or Caleb Smith, Caleb Williams for the Trojans. Uh very nondescript schedule starting out they go san diego state that's home for san diego state home for nevada home for stanford at arizona state at colorado now there's been a lot of talk about colorado secondary they've got some talent including um travis what's his name travis hunter they've got a lot of talent in the secondary They've got one of the most famous defensive backs, if not the most famous defensive back of all time as a head coach in Deion Sanders. They've got a rough start to their schedule. They've got TCU, Nebraska, Colorado State, Oregon, before they play Southern Cal on the 30th. But if Colorado is, say, 3-1 coming into that game, or 4-0, or even if they're 2-2 with losses to TCU and Oregon, but that secondary looks good, um... That there is going to be a lot of attention on that game, and if I know anything about Deion Sanders, there's a real good chance there's a lot of attention on that game anyway because he is going to talk about it. He's going to talk about how his defense is going to shut down Caleb Williams. Um, and, and and if you don't think that he's going to run, that he is going to take that track, I I don't, I don't know how how much you know about Deion Sanders. And if that's the case, there's going to be a lot of tension on that game. That's the first chance for Caleb Williams to say, I'm still here. I'm still the top quarterback in the country. I'm still the Heisman favorite. That That's the game. Then you got October 7th against Arizona. Um, and then at Notre Dame on October 14th. I don't know that Notre Dame is going to be very good this year, but it's, it's a circle on the calendar. Um, then Utah the next week, October 21st washington november 4th oregon november 11th so if you've been paying attention i have three pack 12 quarterbacks on my radar and caleb williams will face off against the other two in back-to-back weeks november 4th and november 11th those what i assume will be very late games if they're not at you know three o'clock in the afternoon but i assume will be very late games could decide the heisman um So those are kind of my my games. Let's switch over real quick while we're here and look at um, Michael Penix Jr.'s path to the Heisman, so to speak. Um, We already talked about some of his games because we're there. They got Boise. That is a 330 ABC game on September 2nd. That could be a sneaky good game for him to run out there against a team that uh, people respect, Boise State, um, even if they haven't earned it. There are a lot of football fans that couldn't tell you one thing about Boise State football for the last decade and a half. But they remember that Boise State at one point was very good and beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. And they're going to get credit that maybe a better team in that conference won't get. Then Tulsa at Michigan State on September 16th. Depends on what Michigan State has. That could be a game that, that helps him out. Uh, Washington, Oregon on October 14th. Mark that one. That's a, another big showdown. Arizona State, Stanford, USC. They Then they have Utah. Then Oregon State, Washington State. So, again, uh, we're still September 30th, possibly, before we really know anything about that Pac-12. Which of those three quarterbacks is the better one? You know, it, it could be a minute. Let's look, flip over to Oregon. We've already seen them show up on, on a couple of schedules, actually. Um, Oregon opens with Portland State. Then Texas Tech. That's a 7 o'clock Fox game on September 9th. That could be a sneaky uh, good game for Bo Nix to put his put his stamp on this race. Um, he may have the earliest opportunity to kind of put his stamp on that race. L- let's let's just take a look and see what else is going on on September 9th. That is, that is fascinating to me. Um, that that early, we could have kind of a Kind of a proven a proven ground game, yeah. So Saturday, September 9th, um, I'm just not seeing a lot of huge games, folks. Uh, Miami, Texas a and at 3:30, but that'll be off by the time Bo Nix kicks off. You get Alabama, Texas that night, you know that that is gonna draw a lot of eyeballs. Um, but Oregon, Texas Tech, if Bo Nix is going off, maybe you switch over. So that's that's possible. That's That's got some legs for him. That, that, that week, that September 9th, could be a game that uh, that gives Bo Nix an early chance to prove himself. Then Colorado on September 23rd. Similar to what we talked about with um, Caleb Williams. In fact, Bo Nix could kind of ruin that game for Caleb Williams. It Really. If he comes out on the 23rd and just absolutely carves him up, then uh, Caleb Williams... Doing it doesn't seem as impressive. Or the reverse is also true. If Colorado has something for Bo Nix and keeps him in check, and then Caleb Williams steps out there and just lights that secondary up, that's pointing Caleb Williams' favor. So Colorado is going to factor heavy in late September, I think, in the Heisman race. So let's move on to some non quarterbacks. Those are the four quarterbacks. Again, before, you know, if you're, I hope that if you're listening to this, you care enough about what I say. That you're already thinking about quarterbacks that could do it, I, I know of a couple. You know, um, I, I like to think that uh, Cade Klubnick at Clemson has a chance, and I think he does. I think if if Garrett Riley's offense gets clicking, I think that that Clubnick has a chance. I think there's there's several other quarterbacks. Um, Sam Hartman, I believe, is at Notre Dame now. Is that right? I or is that not right? Suddenly, I didn't feel right anymore. Um. One of those quarterbacks that we think is very good, transferred from a like an ACC school to a real ACC school to Notre Dame, and I, I, I'm struggling to remember which it was. Um, but anyway, uh, yep, Sam Hartman, I was right. Um, he transferred to Notre Dame. There's a chance that he has that kind of season that we all thought he might have at in, in his previous stop um, at Wake Forest, and that that now he finally pick, turns it around. Um, maybe that's true um maybe um gosh the 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 georgia quarterback drawing a blank on his name whoever we don't know who the georgia quarterback is but whoever wins that that race we think we know who's going to win it we think it's the young man that have that i have said should have transferred about five times um carson beck there you go i know how to get it eventually um Maybe he has that kind of season that maybe he capitalizes on the weapons that Stetson Bennett had and doesn't have that lull in the middle of the season where the team just kind of goes away from passing and he doesn't seem confident and they're winning, but kind of kind of without him. And maybe he wins that because Stetson was a finalist last year. if It wouldn't take much improvement from Carson Beck to prove himself. But let's let's get to some non-quarterbacks. Let's talk about running backs first. Talking about Quinshawn Judkins. We uh, last year ran the ball 274 times for a little over 1,500 yards, 16 touchdowns, caught 15 passes for 132 yards and one touchdown. Going to have to be more of a factor in the passing game, I think, to win a Heisman. It's been a while since we saw a running back um, win one, and part of that is because it in the last gosh decade or so we have seen. You know, there was a time when you, you, you almost had multiple backs. You had the one who ran the ball, and then you won that could catch out of the backfield, um, and, and you really didn't have both. But now you've almost got to have the ability to do both, to have a chance. And that's why we haven't seen one in a while. Um, the last running back, I think was Derrick Henry, yeah, in 2015. And that was kind of the death throes of the... Um, the big true bell cow running backs but having a chance because since then we've just seen the offenses you know you've had we're I mean, right behind that you had lamar jackson and then baker bayfield and kyler murray guys who could do what running backs do but they could also complete 60 something percent of their passes and throw for 30 something touchdowns and do all these other things so if you've got a quarterback that can basically do what the running back could do but more it's hard to to um hard for running backs to make traction and the flip side is also true if you've got these running backs that maybe they don't run for 1600 yards but they run for 1200 yards but they also catch 45 passes and they've got a bunch of touchdowns in the passing game it's just hard to look at a guy that that doesn't run the ball or that doesn't catch the ball much out of the backfield but if quinchon can now that zach evans is gone if he can step in into more of the passing game, um, and if Jackson Dart doesn't eat up a lot of the running yards, which he's capable of, Ole Miss, Quinshawn could, could be an, an interesting candidate. And the reason for that is, I think, you know, and, and I could be wrong, I think the SEC West is as wide open as ever been. Alabama's. Got questions at quarterback there. There are two options at quarterback. Seem to be a guy who struggled last year when in limited action and a guy who lost the job at Notre Dame. That, those are their options. Uh, so I, I don't know that Alabama, now they could still come out and go 12-0 and 0 in that division and go to the SEC championship game. They could still be 11-1. They could still be 10-2. Or this could be the year that I've said it multiple times. There were about five losses on the table for them last year that they escaped, uh, several of them. This could be the year that they finally go 8-4. And, and and LSU, I don't think, is as good as everybody thinks they are. Could be wrong there. So it's open that if Ole Miss, Quinshaw Judkins at Alabama on September 23rd is their first big game. They have Mercer. They have Tulane. They, they host Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is a nice tune-up for Alabama. I think Georgia Tech is going to be a little better this year. Um, and then they've got LSU. If Quinshaw Judkins can be the man... In wins over Alabama and LSU, or even be the man in close losses to one of those, there, there's your chance for a running back. But he's got to be a bigger part of the passing game. Only 15 catches, you know, basically a catch a game, for basically a 10 yards a game and one touchdown. He's just not going to do it. Will Shipley, for Clemson, uh, 210 uh, carries for almost 1,200 yards and 15 touchdowns. I also caught 38 passes for 242 yards and no touchdowns. That's weird that he had no passing, touch uh, receiving touchdowns last year, um, but there were stretches of last year where Will Shipley just put the offense on his back. I hope that's not the case out of necessity in this season. I hope with the Garrett Riley, the new um, new offensive coordinator, with Cade Klubnik, with some of the changes they made, I hope Will Shipley is doesn't you know it, it's not just give the ball to Shipley on third and five and just hope he can get there. I hope it's less of that and more using him as a weapon Uh, garrett riley has never had the (sighs) pedigree of talent that he's got at clemson he has made the talent at at tcu he hasn't had the pedigree of talent the incoming pedigree that he's of talent that he's going to have at clemson i don't know how he's going to use it he did not use running backs in the passing game as much in the past but he also didn't have a guy with the kind of pedigree that Will Shipley has. He made Kendra Miller have that kind of, uh, you know, Kendra's playing with the same thing, second, third round pick. But I I don't, I, I'm, I'm still interested to see. If he if he's going to use Will Shipley as a weapon and he's going to develop Cade Klubnik to be more of a threat in the passing game and, and have a more... Dynamic, versatile offense that could mean Shipley that the team is better, but Shipley has less of a chance to be great. We'll see, or it could be that he finds all kinds of new ways for Will Shipley to get involved and he's more open because other things are working. And all of a sudden, Will Shipley's a 1300 yard running back with 18 touchdowns, he's got 500 receiving yards and 10 more touchdowns, and suddenly he's a Heisman candidate. um That may just be me hoping. The last one, and my friend Jamie Cheek, if you're a Georgia fan, if you're an SEC fan, if you're a college football fan, but specifically Georgia and the SEC, listen to a view from the couch. Uh, He messaged me after my last episode and said, "What about Marvin Harrison Jr.? Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. 77 catches, uh, a little over 1,200, well about 1,263 rushing yards. Let's just say it, and 14 or receiving yards and 14 touchdowns. Um, Ohio State could take a step back this year." Because you know they're new quarterback, new a lot of new pieces. Still has a Mecca Buka across from him. My thing with Marvin Harrison, I said it at the beginning, because Caleb Williams won it last year, he's going to have to do better than himself. But because he's there, if he is healthy, somebody's going to have to do more than him, right? And that's going to be tough for a receiver to do. If he's healthy and he just matches his numbers, how can you give it to a receiver if you've got a quarterback that accounts for 5,000 yards, 52 touchdowns, and only turns the ball over six or seven times in a season? It's going to be hard. It It's easier for a quarterback to match that, especially if somebody like Michael Penix Jr. does maybe a little bit, you know, not quite as good statistically, but his team has a better year and wins the conference. Uh, same thing for Bo Nix. If, if he has a, you know, maybe he doesn't have quite the, the statistics that Caleb Williams does, but Caleb Williams ends up losing two games and Bo Nix leads Oregon to, it has has Oregon about to play in the playoffs, maybe Bo Nix wins it. It's going to be really hard for a receiver to beat that. Additionally, Marvin Harrison wasn't even the best receiver in the country last year in terms of stats. That matters because the last non-quarterback to win it was Devontae Smith in 2020. It was a weird year. Um, I firmly believe that if... Uh, Trevor Lawrence isn't sick. And remember, Trevor Lawrence got COVID and missed Notre Dame and Boston College. And DJ Wunglele, who we know wasn't actually that good, maybe he'll do better at Oregon State, but wasn't actually that good, lit them up. Lit up Notre Dame, lit up Boston College. If, if you take DJ's numbers and put them on Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence wins that Heisman. So, But on top of that, Devontae Smith had 700 more receiving yards than anybody else in the country. So in a year where it was weird and, you know, Trevor Lawrence is probably the best player in the country, but he missed two games, and, and you've got uh, Justin Fields up there. you got you got all these guys, but Justin Fields only played five games in the regular season or whatever it was. Just a weird year. Devontae Smith was clearly the best player at his position. By a long shot, played every game, had 700 more receiving yards than anybody else in the country, had 23 receiving touchdowns, which is a lot. Marvin Harrison Jr. had 14 last year. Um... I think for a receiver in particular, Marvin Harrison is going to have to be clearly the best receiver in the country statistically and um, and overall to even have a chance. So I think it's just going to be tough. It's going to be so hard. I mean, again, he had a third of the touchdowns that Caleb Williams did last year. I, so it's going to be hard. Uh, if anybody can, it's Marvin Harrison. He's a. Fen- I think he's the best receiver in the country, and and there will be. A line of NFL teams a mile long itching to have him on their team the next year. I just think the this year with the slate of quarterbacks we have coming back, it's going to be very hard for somebody who's not a quarterback to win it. I looked through defensive players because there are going to be a lot of a lot of you out there going, "Oh, it's time for a defense player to, to win it." You can make that case. I didn't see a guy. A lot of the guys that I thought, you know, just looking at their stats, you know, this guy had. 100 something tackles and 12 intercept or 12 um, sacks and a couple of picks, he's already in the NFL. Um, most of the guys who were big names last year that that um, that I think could have had a chance to have that momentum, man, they're already gone. Um, so maybe. There's a, there's a defensive player at Georgia. There's a defensive player at Clemson. There's a defensive player at Alabama. Um, maybe there's a, a defensive... That would be a, a chance where, let's say, Caleb Williams gets hurt. I don't want him to. But Caleb Williams gets hurt in the middle of the year, and their defense steps up. And they've got a defensive end that ends up with 13 sacks. Uh, they, they did have a defensive end last year that led the country in sacks, and he's he's gone on in the NFL. If you have that kind of situation, maybe... But it's still going to be hard. I mean, you basically need Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix Jr., and Bo Nix all to be much worse than they were last year. I mean, folks, the most interceptions out of those four was Michael Penix Jr. with eight. And he also accounted for 35 touchdowns and completed 65% of his passes and passed for 4,600 yards. So, like... Those four guys, it's been a long, maybe a long time since we had that kind of returning slate of quarterbacks. And part of it is the COVID year. You know, Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix have been in college football for 1,900 years combined. They were playing college football when we had leather helmets. Um, So that's part of it, is that these guys aren't leaving. Because, you know, Mo, Bo Nix probably would you know, he's third-round pick. He's like, ah, give it another year at Oregon, see what happens. Um... So, but it's been a while since we had this kind of slate of quarterbacks that have the the games on their schedule and the experience and the stats and the ability to any of the four of them be a quarter be a Heisman level quarterback, and we haven't even gotten to who the Ohio State quarterback is and who the Clemson quarterback is and what we talked about a little bit and who the Alabama quarterback is, and we haven't talked about who's going to take over at Florida where there's supposedly a quarterback guru as a head coach and who's going to be the quarterback is this the year that Texas a and m finally steps up. Uh, Michigan. We didn't even mention anybody from Michigan. There is so much talent in this country that somebody could step up outside of this group. But for right now, I'd put my money on one of those four quarterbacks. Um, I think it's probably going to be Caleb Williams. Just because I think he's just that much better than the other three. But I I wouldn't rely on Bo Nix. Bo Nix would be fun. If he's good Bo Nix, he's fun. Anyway, that's that's what I've got for today. Uh, Hopefully be back a little more regular schedule from here. Uh, Hit me up on Twitter at JTIMM684. Continue to follow, subscribe, tell your friends. Uh, Have a good week.